welcome to Evolve to Succeed, the podcast that brings together entrepreneurs, founders, business leaders, and experts to talk about their journeys and explore the link between personal and business success. I'm your host, Juan Munson, founder of Evolve, a coaching, training, and development company focused on enabling business and personal success and creating a community of like-minded individuals. Whether that be through our peer groups, one-to-one coaching, our training and development programs for you and your teams, or through our content and events, our mission is to get the best out of each individual and inspire them to be better both in life and in business. If you want to learn more about Evolve, including our beautiful co-working space in Ashley Cross in Paul, then please go to evolvemembers.com where you'll find great content, insights, details of all of our services, and also information on our forthcoming events. For now though, let's get on with the show. Welcome, today we hear from Mark Trent, CEO at Charles Trent, a fourth generation family run vehicle recycling company with nearly a century of industry leading experience. Established in 1926 by Mark's great grandfather, the company has grown to operate across multiple sites and has a customer base that spans the world. Mark entered the business in 1982 and took over as the managing director in the late 90s. Regular listeners to this podcast will know that I'm intrigued by family businesses and how they pass through the generations. So I was very excited to talk to someone at the helm of a business that is nearly 100 years old and talk to Mark about how he's innovated that business in his tenure of ownership. As well as covering the pleasures and pressures of being part of a family business, my conversation with Mark covers topics from driving the company's evolution, the innovation that's transformed the car recycling industry, and how Mark maintains the core values of the business. Two, Trent's newly established 100,000 square feet facility in Paul, which is the first facility in the whole world operating a 17-hour shift operation that processes all types of vehicles. Mark and his brothers have taken the business forward in a remarkable way, which is a great achievement, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy this episode. Hello, Mark. Welcome to the Evolved Succeed podcast. Thank you, Warren, for having me. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I think there's a wealth of topics that we could and will discuss during the course of our conversation, Mark, including definitely talking about what it's like to be the fourth generation in a family business, changes that are happening within the car recycling industry, uh, automation, uh, that kind of circular economy stuff, some of the environmental issues, some of the other things that you're passionate about, and maybe what even what's next for the business. But if I've got this right, Mark, and correct me if I haven't, Charles Trent was established by your great-grandfather That's in correct. 1926, and nearly 100 years ago. What are your earliest memories of the business, though? Well, my earliest memories was literally probably when I was in uh, seven or eight years old when I used to, every school holiday, I used to go and work up the yard, um, either directing car parking traffic or whatever, helping out in the yard, whatever, with my father. So it was, it was very early, early years. And, you know, they were great years. Yeah. I suppose it was, I think, you know, it was probably like your playground, I suppose, then, was it? It certainly was a playground for us that then, you know, there was things that we, we probably would never get away with today, yeah. like, such as driving machinery and, yeah. and fork trucks. And also that's where I learned to drive at a very early age. Early age. Brilliant. And obviously, you, you know, you came into the business, you know, after school. Do you think there was always that pressure being in a family business for you as the next generation to succeed? 
I certainly, for myself and my two brothers, there was no pressure get going into the business. We were, like I said, we were there from a very early age. It's, it was a business that we grew up in, like I said, from a very young, from a child right the way through. So it was just a natural progression for us, more so than any pressure. Yeah. So it just became the thing, you kind of left school, started working in the business? Yeah, as soon as, you know, as soon as we were able to leave school officially, we were a set of hands, hands on in the yard and we were... You know, we were set on, set on our way in, in different tasks in the business. Yeah. And if we talk about the generations that have owned the business, like I say, you, you and your brothers, you're the fourth generation. You know, what's the kind of little bit of, you know, history of the business? So, yeah, you're right. Jonathan, Neil, Jonathan, myself are the, the fourth generation. So there was uh, pr previously, um, as I said, it was started back in the 19, early 1920s by my great grandfather. He had three children, which was one of them was my grandfather, Charlie Trent. So there was actually two Charlie Trents. Okay. So people do get a little bit muddled up with with that and, and he had two brothers that he was was in business with the second generation um didn't go so well as the first generation um fortunately my grandfather survived the, into the third generation with my father and my uncle taking over the business um back in the 1970s um, okay and when did you really take the reins of the business and you know what happened and enabled you to do that i suppose i think my father was you know being the first born and being first out of school into the business i think my father was the one that encouraged me to do do the most um you know yeah. there's a huge amount of pressure that expectation i suppose was on your oh shoulders. i think it, you know from even from the very first you know first day you you, you turned up there he gave me a role i had to start at seven o'clock in the morning and i worked in at the time we bought a very small trans small transport company that sat alongside the the original facility at Paul and I, I he started me off as a lorry fitter which I did not enjoy for for anything but that's where he wanted to start me I he soon came out of that back into the into the main yard and and what you know I was set upon different tasks within the in the in the, in the business at a very I guess very young age it was really really interesting brilliant and you know, what are some of the joys, I suppose? We'll talk about some of the challenges, but I'd love to start with some of the joys. What are some of the joys of running a family business, do you see it? I think the joys of, of a family business is that you, when you start working alongside other people, they become part of the family yeah. as well. I think, you know, there's no... There's no airs and graces within it, within a family business. It's very much, you know, the, the family, is, family business are so passionate about what they do. And I think that's been a real key. And that passion soon rubs off on other people. Yeah. And that's been really good to see. And, and obviously that's evolved over the years as well. Yeah. And, and it is interesting, isn't it? Because I, I suppose it's the same as any owner-managed business. But that is accentuated, isn't it, in a family business, is that there is a belief and a passion and a history and something that ties everybody into the business that gives it a sense of purpose and direction. And, you, and it's about how do you... Uh, harness that I suppose well I think like any 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 business you've got to keep pushing forward and I think you've also got to look at what what's happened in the past yeah. um, so you you know pushing for you know forging pushing forward uh, forward in a business you you've got to be thinking of the future but you've obviously got to be learning from the past you know there's a lot of good things that you know the second or well, the first the second the third generation in a lot of um, I would say a lot of uh, good things that they instilled within the, within the family. Yeah. But it was, we had a very good work ethic. That yeah. was one hard of them. Hard graft, I'd imagine. It was a hard, certainly that was the, that was probably the 
priority, the number one high graft over over how you know how the the direction of the business. Um, and obviously, one of the other things is, is, is be honest. You know, it was, it was very much that you you have to be honest. If you if you shake hands back then, it was every deal yeah. was done on a on a handshake. And even if someone you got more money offered for something, you st- stood on your deal. So it was, the two things that was instilled with me for, or for myself and my two brothers at a very early age was, you know, work hard, be honest. Yeah. And you know, they're they're good they're good traits to have. Absolutely, they are. And what some of the challenges? of running a family business and do you feel the pressure of being the custodian um, of the business i think that's a really good question i think the first one is the custodian and that's what i am a custodian we we certainly are we we were we were handed the baton um right the way back in the 1990s you know 99 i took over the business from my father um and you know, and, and like I said, he held that for 50 years. Um, so it was quite a challenging time for the family at the time. Yeah. It was, uh, you, know, you know, what we know today was the right decision. But, you know, you have to ad- adapt to, to the changes that the business is doing. And if you, you know, if you see things differently, you have to, you have to work forward on that. On yeah. That. And it is really interesting, isn't it? And what do you think, because a lot of family businesses that I've seen and worked with and you know, perhaps businesses that we could name between us that are, were local, that don't exist anymore, that were family-driven. It's rare for them to make it to the fourth generation. Why do you think it's worked for Charles Trent? I think one of the key things that we've done, and I said, you know, the family businesses do really work really well if the setup is correct in the first place. Yeah. For us, it was it was fathers and sons fathers and sons yeah um and that's been a great concept one of the things that we've never um right or rightly or wrongly is uh, added our wives to the to the pot because yeah. sometimes that waters things down a little bit and they have different decisions especially if they're not working in the business so we've managed to work very you know the set from the third generation to the fourth generation we've gotten really really well yeah brilliant and i suppose yeah that's part of it isn't it is is bringing everybody in you know uh, and everybody having their voice within a family business isn't it so yeah. you, you try and keep that harmony i suppose yeah i think it's one of the things is we all found our niches very early um okay. i you know i obviously worked alongside my father my father unfortunately had a brother that died uh, had ill health for a good number of years so he's very much on his own for a good okay. number of years within the business until i came along um in 1982 and then my brothers came along three three and a half years later um, so he's very much, um, you know, a one-man band, you know, doing everything yeah. from lorry driving to, you know, selling parts to dismantling cars to crushing vehicles. So yeah. he's very much a, 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 the one-man band then. Um, and like I said, he wasn't frightened to graft. You know, he would work seven days a week, 12 hours a day. Yeah. Um, he really had, had a great work ethic. Yeah. Um, so when we came along, it was hopefully a breath of sh- it was a breath of fresh air for I'm sure he'll probably say things otherwise, but uh, <laughs> a pain in the backside. But um, um, no, it was it was it was it was good time. The, you know, we 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 always used to talk. So we we spend most of the day we start really early in the morning. We'd finish probably six o'clock. We spend the next hour and a half just talking about what what, what we done today. What else could we do? So we spend an hour, at least an hour to an hour and a half every evening in the office just talking about what we can do and what what we could do better. Right. Um, father was you know back in the early eighties. He really had some great ideas of how he he wanted to take the the business forward. And it was, you know, it was, it was the early mid '80s when he he came up with this this new concept um, to take the business away from the traditional um, 
you know, yard where it was dirty and, yeah. uh, you know, we stored parts in the back of a, a an old Debenhams van body and the, the yard was muddy and wet and cold in the winter and, you know, and opposite in the, in the summer. And he, you know, he, he, he decided he wanted to, you know, transform the business into a more professional business into a into a professional business so he decided to concrete the yard and he used to put he put up a proper warehouse back in right in the yeah. early age so he was, it was really innovative because nobody had done that in the in the uk back back then right. you know we did that it was launched in 1987 um you know i remember a story when we you know it was recognized by government we were we were we were starting to talk to government because that's when the, the eu directive was starting to be talked uh, about okay. which came in in 2002 so you know we we, we were fortunate then we got a government um we got sir richard page down from he was an mp at the time uh, he actually owned page yeah. volvo um at, at the time and he came down and we did a, a launch day there with press and everything like that and i remember him saying on that day, you know, this is not traditional car breaking scrap business is what they yeah. called it then. This is this is just completely new. And he said, no change, no chance. And I was taking that. No change, no chance. Yeah, I like that. That was really good. It yeah. was a good saying. And, and that's why we've always changed the business. We've just, yeah. we've always been innovators and we've kept, we always want to keep pushing forward. And, you know, even even now, even I've been doing it now for 41 years, I don't want to stop pushing the business no. forward. It's got to keep moving. And we're definitely going to come and talk about that because I'm fascinated to have a conversation about how you've innovated the business and how you're driving the business in, in now and in the years, years ahead. But going back on that, it's quite interesting, isn't it, to see that your father's, that time probably spent with your father that hour, hour and a half every day was like a kind of doing an MBA, real life MBA of running a business. And I, and I suppose that was what gave you that grounding to, I mean, must have, you know, to become the MD of the business at a relatively young age. Yes. To then take the business forward. Yeah, I, it was, it was, for me, it was a, it, the greatest opportunity came in about 1999. I was given the opportunity, my, you know, we sat down and we said, look, you know, we, we unfortunately father had some ill health, so, um, yeah. which wasn't great for him or the business. Um, and it was, it was a case of, you know, I was doing a lot leading up to 1999. I was doing a lot of the stuff that, uh, that I wasn't, I, you know, was not hands on so much. It was more, more of the business. And, um, I, you know, I, I said to my father, we, we sat down and we had a really good few days chat about it. And I said, how about I take over the business? And he gave me the opportunity, which was, um, I'm, for sure, I'm sure he, he will say differently, but um, it, it was both challenging for him to, to, to accept that mm. it's time for the next generation to take over. But I think you know you ask him today he would he's i'm sure i know he's very proud because he's told us so yeah brilliant and that's good you know that's, that's brilliant that he's had the opportunity to do that and that you and your brothers can hear him say that as, as well and i suppose then we need to start talking about you know some of the the things that you've done with the business since so you, you we you've mentioned your father you mentioned the innovation you know making it you know i, I suppose less of a car recycling scrapyard where everybody's yanking off their own bits and and, and bartering and, and creating this warehouse and concreting and that. But, you know, did you, have you always had a grander vision for the business or is it a case of year by year seeing what's happened in the industry, 
being on the bleeding edge. I mean, how have you carried that innovation forward, Mark? Well, I think when you, you know, going back to the to the 87 when we started, you know, we opened up our new facility within the next 30 years. Obviously, people have followed. It was a natural progression yeah. for any business who, who wanted to do the job right. Um, unfortunately, today, even the, the, the industry is still very much divided. Yeah. Um, yes, I, you know, from a very early age, you know, you know when we were talking earlier, Warren, um, I always found it a, a better route to doing a job, getting an end result mm. a lot quicker. Um, so if my father put me into a position, I would always find an easier route to get the same effect. I called that efficiency. He called me that. He <laughs> father would call that being different um, in a polite way. Um, but um, it always got the results in the end. So I, I was very soon thought, you know, I, I was very early thinking about the business and how the direction of the business should go and about the industry because it was very much a... Um, a mom and pop kind of business, a family, family traditional business, and it's to some respect, it's still very much like that there today. But obviously, there's the big corporate starting to to, to yeah. come into there. So, uh, you know, even back in since '99, I started thinking how we could do things better. So, you know, in the early '90s, we expanded the business outside of Paul. Tradition, we've been in there since the 1920s. So, we we, we set up our first uh, shop outside of Paul, and that's where we would deliver parts into Southampton. Um, okay. So that was very early age. So we we call that a, a, a you know like a, a depot of of ours. Um, what we you know what that did do in the very early years is we would we more or less doubled our part sales from the same amount of vehicles. So we just had a wider audience. Yeah. Very much back then when the internet wasn't around, yeah, was it say, was you got to talk you, about the internet in a bit. You you had to take the parts to the people rather yeah. than the, the, now the internet you know is a completely different mold so right back in the early days we always we always had to start thinking two three five years ahead um to the point you know um you know i as we were talking earlier on i started thinking 20 30 years ahead because i've got to think about the generations of the business you know i said i'm custodian still when where does it go next what yeah. what is the next step for for trends you know um, and how do we move that business forward yeah, and it is really interesting, isn't it? Because if you think about it, and you know, maybe our listeners, and maybe it's again, it's a mis, it's a, it's a complete misconception, and particularly for your businesses. We'll come and talk about, but there's a conception that misconception that the car recycling kind of vehicle recycling world is very archaic. It's a very manual. It's very kind of still down and dirty. And and actually, the innovation that has taken place in your industry and and partly driven by manufacturers, partly driven by insurance companies, partly driven by legislation. It's immense. But until you start talking to you, Mark, you don't kind of see that and un- understand that, do you? No, you're right. The, 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 the industry itself is still very much the concept or the, 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 what people believe it is. Yeah. It isn't. It has completely changed. But unfortunately it's only there's only changed at the top end you know a lot of, there's been a lot of adopters there but a lot of people like to keep it as a traditional business yeah um but for you know for for for, for the few there, there there's a lot of change i think we've been at the forefront of any any future changes like I said, some of it's been driven by legislation certainly back in 2002 when the directive came into force is you know that 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 was a big that was a significant thing because it's now vehicles are producer responsibility so yeah. You know, so we were very much part of the steering committee of that through the 90s. So my father and I were on the committee. So we worked with car manufacturers, okay. governments to, because it was us that were dealing with the vehicles. You know, the car manufacturers were never going to deal with them 2002 onwards, um, although, albeit it was producer responsibility. Um, that, 
that producer responsibility has remained in force now for a good 20 odd years. Um, so I said we we're talking to you earlier on Warren that uh, that's changing now. Yeah. Um, producers, the car manufacturers have to take more responsibility, and that's what they're looking at now. So there's a new there's a new directive that, that's on the table now that's now being interpreted. Probably take about three years to come into play. But you're right. We've you know we've we've had to change how we think as a company. So we had to back the 80s was the probably the biggest step that we've done since the 20s yeah um obviously we talked about where we are today yeah. now probably for 15 years prior to today i was in my head i always said you said that you could take vehicles apart in exactly the same way as you can put them together yeah. there's got to be a way but the barriers to doing that were huge because obviously most car manufacturers, the production lines build one type of vehicle, although they could be different types. So for example, we went, we visited a lot of car manufacturers. You know, you get you get, you get these visitor days. You're actually looking to, to visit those things and see how they're built. Yeah. And they'll build a Mini and they'll build variations of Mini, but they won't build a, a BMW Mini and a BMW 3 Series and a BMW 7 Series. They're all different lines. So one of the challenges for us is, well, if you're going to redo a production line, reverse production line, you've got to put a Ford, a Vauxhall, a BMW, a Mercedes, all that yeah. down the lines. So those were the, the challenges that I always thought were the barriers to actually achieving this. And but you always had this kind of vision of having a facility and reverse engineering the production absolutely and taking it, 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 apart it, it, on a line. It was always been on my mind for a good fifteen years. Um, so it wasn't until two thousand and seventeen that I was invited to France, and we looked at a facility. Um, it used to be the old Renault MPV factory okay so it was a very much of a concept facility where they just taken the old production lines and just put old end of life vehicles down the design and this is what we could do so i, I visited that like i said visited there with myself and my my brother and one of our facility managers back in 2017 and as soon as i saw it i the light bulb came on i thought yeah this we can do i can commercialize this so not not only did I want to build one straight away, I wanted to develop that into a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week or five-day-a-week facility, um, which, we, which we have today. Um, it, it took five years of planning, sharpening, I call it sharpening the axe, to actually put it into place, which we opened that in tw- August 22. And yeah, just for our listeners, this is a hundred thousand square feet facility. This is a hundred thousand square feet, yeah, hundred thousand square feet facility. Um, the, the facility, it's a brand new facility. Um, yeah. It's in Poole. Um, we invested a huge amount of money. We invested nearly twelve million pounds in this facility, yeah. and we continue to invest in the learning side of the facility. You know, we didn't start. The learning starts when you actually yeah. open the day you open the facility. <laughs> and was there a moment where you stopped your old systems procedures? you know, what you were doing, which was still kind of <coughs> modern and kind of progressive and said, right, we're not even going to do that anymore. And everything we now do, everything goes through the line. Well, no, we didn't. We literally closed our old business down in June of last, in June of August, uh, June of 22. We literally sent everybody on a two, two month training course. So we sent so some people over to France to work on the concept lines. Yeah. And then we continued that training here in Paul. Um, that was a real challenge because we wow. brought the old people across to the new facilities. And like I said, new, this new way of working, it's all about lean, lean practices as yeah. well. 
It's completely different. It's a production facility. And then literally, the cars move along the line, don't literally, they? Literally, they start at one end and they move along. In, they, they, there's two lines. They move along simultaneously and basically do exactly the same at each station. And, um, and we, the whole concept is to recover more parts, more reusable parts. Yeah. You know, one of the ideas around one of the concepts for us for the production lines was to create a market for older parts. These older parts traditionally just got thrown away. Yeah. Um, you know, a traditional breaker would break generally cars five, six, seven, eight years old, where we're now breaking every single car right the way up to end of life. And we'll recover through the data, we'll recover as many reusable parts. Secondary uh, recoverable item is remanufacturer parts. That's become a big thing for the UK and for, for us is to, to identify those parts and recover parts that could go for a second. They can be remanufactured and then put back into the system. Okay. And also we recover a lot of higher value metallic yeah. components from the theatre. Recover a lot more wiring loom, a lot more aluminium, a lot more heavy steel, you know, and it's creating more value from that processes. But as I said, it's lean practices, so it's very efficient. So our cost to produce a part is extremely low, although our investment has been extremely high. I've got so many questions. Right, let's do a quick fire. Um, what percentage of a car did you used to recover to be you know, recycled under the old way? And typically, you know, broadly, what's that percentage now? Well, if you take the t typical 10-year and older vehicle, we wouldn't yeah. recover anything from it. Right, it, would get, it. It would just basically be take all the fluids from the vehicle because that's law yeah. and then you would just crush that vehicle for its for, and, and it go through to the traditional shredder from the the original the, the, the other vehicles the newer vehicles you recover probably 15 to 20 parts of a vehicle from that from that vehicles yeah. and you'd sell them through through well, obviously now the internet yeah. and obviously it was used to be the front counters yeah and and is it I think you've mentioned before about 85% on some vehicles now being recovered. Well, we ha by law you have to re you have to recycle a vehicle by 95% in the UK. It started okay. at 75% in 2002. Right. Target got increased to 85% and now yeah. 95%. We're at we're actually at 96.2%. Now that target is somewhat um, or that that achievement is through. Uh, the parts we recover from the vehicle, yeah. um, from the the, the processes through the through the shredder, um, yeah. and that's how the, the, the so it's a whole combination of that. Our goal is to achieve as close to a hundred percent as we can over the over the coming years, and we'll do that by identifying more of the product that we can recover from that vehicle. So at the moment, when we dismantle a vehicle, we we basically strip it down to about. 85% of the vehicle. So yeah. we've recovered about 85% of the products that we know that we can we can either resell or we can reprocess yeah. or remanufacture or, or certainly reuse. So the, the interesting thing is our number of parts that we're recovering from our vehicle park is increased significantly. As I said to you earlier on, a lot of our stuff is driven through technology, yeah. through data, data things. So um, we are the largest uh, parts reseller in Europe through eBay. Um, we've done a lot. Of, we do a lot of work with eBay. Um, great concept. It's got. A, it's a great shop window eBay mm. for us. So we sell parts not just in the UK. We sell parts all over the world. You know, eBay is a very good good tool. Um, so we work very well with them. They've also bought in a, a, an accreditation. 
Um, they, they funded the accreditation for the industry. Yeah. Um, uh, it's very similar to the ISO that we see now, 9,001, 14,001, 27,000. So the same kinds of people that um, do the audit on, on those, do the audit for the VRA. Yeah. And the, the, basically the, the, accredita- the, the, the VRA accreditation is basically how the the provenance of the the part from the time the vehicles come in right the way through to to the, to the t- time it's boxed and put on the shelf. I think one of the other important things to mention is that when we looked at setting up this new reverse production facility, we also looked at how we could mo- how we could incorporate a modern warehouse facility. Yeah. So we very much looked at the Amazon kind of uh, business. Stock control. Stock controls. Stock. So if you come to any of our facilities, we have two. We have a great big facility out at Holton Heath. Um, um, and that we we built that before we built BH1 up above the re- re- reverse production line facility. We built that to allow us to build the facility at, at, at Paul. Um, but basically, we box everything. So basically, our parts are put on the shelf and they're ready to go same day. Um, and now we run twenty four. Uh, so we run uh, five days a week at the moment, seventeen hours a day. Yeah. Um, and s- soon that will become twenty four five. We're looking to open that in in, tw- in in February next year. Wow, it's amazing. And how long does it take? I'm going to come back to the logistics side of things. But how long does it take for a car to? start you know you put it on the start of the reverse engineering kind of line and to get to the other end it takes an hour and 15 minutes so one it one literally one vehicle is coming off the line every 50 or going on and off every every 15 minutes 17 hours a day wow that's incredible yeah <laughs> it's certainly it's certainly you know we've had a since we opened it um back in august 22 we've obviously invited certain parties to the thing yeah. and i think what they what their perception and when they turn up i think i have not seen people just look in awe of what we've done yeah and does it feel like as a business owner now does it feel like you talk about shutting down the business for a couple of months you know summer 2022 everybody retraining does it feel like you've started nearly a completely new business Oh, absolutely. This is, this is, I keep telling my people, remember, we've shut the old business down. This is a, this is the new business. You can learn, like I said, if you talk, talk about the history of the business, you yeah. can always learn from the past, but the way, you've got to look into the future. So, uh, and it's just complete, it's a complete change. The, yeah. the, the people, the, the challenges are different. The concept is completely different. Lean manufacturer is new to the industry, yeah. new to our industry. It's not new to the car manufacturing industry because that's, you know, that was adopted in the early 1900s yeah. with with Henry Ford. Yeah. Um, but certainly for our industry, it's definitely a, a new concept, yeah. um, and it, it works really well if you can get it right. But we're still learning. It's still. I'm sure there must be lots to learn still, and it must, that must present huge challenges. But. And I'm and I'm right in thinking this is the only facility like this doing car and vehicle recycling in the UK, if not the world, that does it this way. This is the first facility that's up op- in the whole world that is operating a 17-hour shift operation and processing all vehicle, all types of vehicles, right. not just certain types not of vehicles. Not just the manufacturer having sort of this process. To no, do their own we vehicles. we we, you know, our our view of of, of car recycling. Our view of car recycling is you've got to recover the, 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 the materials from the vehicles before it goes through shredding. Yeah. And the reason you do that, it, otherwise it gets, it gets lost in the shredding process. Yeah. And you want to recover 
enough material. Uh, we talk about the, you know the circular economy is a great thing. So a lot of materials we are going to go back into for re in back into a new car, yeah. and that's what we're trying to do more of today. Obviously, car recycling has been around for years. Yeah. Um, in different. In, ever since there's been vehicles. In well, ever since there's been vehicles, yeah. you know, if you if you actually wind the clock back into the early or the mid twenties and the early thirties, cars were wooden. Yeah. You know, so they when they when they come to their end of life, they push them into into the into the same hole you put your household waste into. Yeah. You know, very much up on the Manning's Heath. There is where you know the facility was right on the on the edge of the tip. So as soon as they finish, they push them off the cliff and into <laughs> into the into the into the tip. It's weird, isn't it? How life was different a hundred years ago, and yeah. um, and you know, talking about kind of the the facility and and the, where the business is now. Are you a processing business? Are you a data business, or are you a logistics business? I think you have to be all three of those. Yeah, um, but. You know, traditionally in, in, in the, our car breaking days or in my early days, our business was run on gut feel. Yeah, so that was all the process. So when you first got involved, it was all about it was all process. it was all gut feel. We yeah. knew we we, we we would you know I re, I remember a, a quick story is when we put our new facility up in the 1980s. By the time I took the business over, the the, the whole warehouse was just full of parts. Yeah. We ne- we had not a space to do. I threw 75% of that product away in my first year of takeover. My father was not happy with me. <laughs> and, 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 and I said, and, I, and my, my, my rationale was uh, those parts didn't sell. The good thing is we computerized. Um, we were very early adopters of computers back in the 80s and we computerized it from day one or it was a bespoke system that we wrote. And we just knew that these parts didn't sell. And so I threw the stuff away and part sales and number of parts sold still remained the same. So that was part of the early years when so we had data, 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 yeah. data was data was key then. It's more so now. So everything we do, the good thing is now with the internet and working with eBay, we get to see all that data, all the demand. And obviously one of the big things that's happened in the last two years is, is insur- insurance now have got the confidence to mm-hmm. reuse parts to re- put in a normal repair chain when i say they use parts they use the panel work the, the doors the, yeah, the, the metal work the metal work they will not use anything that's non-safety related um obviously reputation um and risk and reputation when insurance is paramount so they will never compromise that so that's been really good as i said to you earlier on warren it these are the these insurance reuse has been massive in the states and uh in the us and and uh, australia new zealand canada and also now into norway and sweden for for many years we're a bit of a late to the late we're a bit late to the party but now the insurance companies can see that and it's a great thing because we buy the vehicles from the insurance companies and sell them the parts back so it's great circular economy yeah. and also one of the real key things that sits around is is we, we, we every time we use a the more parts we reuse the planets you know we're saving co2 we're saving that new one being replaced and i think in the future i think there'll be a legislation to say if there's if there's parts that can be reused do not use a a, 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 don't go go for a new one and i know that we know for a fact that there is legislation in france today that's only recent legislation is saying that they have to operate that way so that's driving people to use 
yeah. um, quality secondhand parts. So that's a real that's a real key thing for us. But you know, as you said earlier on, our facility at Paul is is, is a great um, concept about ESG because the whole facility is run by solar power. Right. Um, so it r- literally runs the power to power the lines. So solar panels on the roof, yeah, and that charges. Yeah. And uses it. So with that power, that charges the fork trucks. It runs the, the lighting. Um, it just runs about seventy five percent of our business uh, on the, on the Ringwood Road. But the only reason it doesn't run one hundred percent because it's not connected to the other twenty five percent, and that will happen later on in this year or early part of next year. Wow, brilliant! And with all of that innovation taking place and that change you know, taking place since you took on the role of MD, you know, that what we say that was 1999. Yeah. You know, so what's that 24 years ago? How, because the business has absolutely changed, you, you know, partly because of you driving it, partly because of the market, partly because of environmental issues coming to the fore and all of that kind of things. So how would you describe how your leadership style has changed since 99, say 2000 and the last couple of years? I think there's two. There's one key key change is I now listen to other people. <laughs> um, I think you know going back to when I took over the business ninety when I you know had the opportunity in 1999, I knew about the business from hands-on side of it. Yeah. I didn't know about business in general. So very early years, I got myself onto. Um, a forum of people, yeah, um, a bit like what you do, Warren. Now yeah, today, our peer groups, yeah. yeah so a peer group, I, and I, I remember the first two, two or three years, I met some really, you know, I got managing director by t- by by title, um, yeah. but I, I was not your true managing director at the time. And those first two years with the peer groups were, were really interesting because I met some really, really um, great people that w- that had some really good experience. And I think the first two years was every every session was spent on me <laughs> and all my. <laughs> All my lack of a uh, lack of knowledge of business. Was it one of those? Oh God, what's Mark done this month? Yeah. Sorry, so please. and so when I obviously got to you know uh, when I got to uh, my, you know I got I got more confident in the business. It was I was very gun ho. We're going to keep pushing forward. This is what we're going to do. It was my way or the kind of highway kind of yeah. thing. So one of the big changes for me that I soon learned, you know, there's there's a lot of great people with a lot of great ideas. Start to listen to them, you, you know, yeah. and I that that's for me the being the biggest fundamental change in my leadership. I, I'm I'm now able to listen to other people and know when I'm wrong. Yeah, and actually, yeah, seek advice when you <coughs> when you need to by the sound of it. Yeah. And the other thing about that yeah, huge transformation, and possibly more so in the last five years, is you know it is a family business. It has some great core values you know and we've talked about a few of those how have you managed to maintain the core values of the business through this transition because that's that's really hard you're nearly transcending from a kind of well since you've taken the business in this fourth generation you and your brothers it has transcended hasn't it from a local family business into a nationwide business and it has become you know significantly larger and, and, you know, we've talked about the changes that are taking place, but values still must be important to you. Absolutely. You know, uh, it, when you're a smaller business, your, your, your family values are quite easy to maintain, mm-hmm. um, for sure, because obviously you're working in the business. Yeah, families in the business, hands on. Yeah, yeah. you're, you're Anne. Um, but 
you know that ingredient to me is at, at this most successful business are family businesses. Yeah. You know, corporates are successful, obviously, by becoming corporate for sure. But there's a different there's a different uh, level of, of of how they work with their people or understand their people. So we value our people really well. So what we do is we we actually set up workshops now for vision and values and culture. Okay, you know. People are really important to us. Our staff are really important to us. Um, we want to retain staff. We want to, to develop staff. So there's a huge amount of opportunity now. So I think we put the right people in the right places now. So we really have to work on that mm. development of, of, like I said, people, culture, and, and, and vision and values. Yeah. So we are doing workshops on that. And obviously we've got another site in the Midlands as well. So it's good that we can do that. As I walk, because I, I, I'm based in Paul, I walk around the site and I more or less know everybody by first names. You know, some some of the new starters are a little bit scared at the beginning when I walk past, but within within a month they're they're quite happily telling me the stories about their their wife or their children, their girlfriends, or their breakups or, or whatever. <laughs> it's, going on in their it, lives. It, it's a it's a nice thing, and I don't want to lose that vision, or, or I don't want to lose those values as the business grows. And yeah. we we need to keep that firmly instilled within our business. But on the flip side, we have to have a corporate outlook as well yeah because we've got to recognize that we've you know we talk to those those corporates you know yeah. we 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 do border on working with them and um, with, with a lot of insurers etc it's, it's a really narrow tightrope isn't it between maintaining that kind of those values those principles those ethics those everything that makes the business great but being able to be professional enough to perform to the extent that you know the big insurance companies, the car manufacturers, government yeah. will engage with you. It's quite a, that must be quite a challenge. Yeah, it, it, it is a challenge. But like I said, it, but it's, it's absolutely necessary. Yeah. So you know, like I said, I think you they can't hide. From I, it, I, I think we're like I said, we're a bit of a hybrid kind of company where we we have to we have to be like I said, walk on that tightrope, and we have to one to, one one side we're on the family side, the other side we're on the corporate yeah. side, and that's the great great thing about the people that work there now and some you know some have developed into to senior managers and, yeah. and board level managers um it's the opportunities there is great and also now we're able to attract because of the size of the business it is now we're able to attract good professional people to help us to keep pushing this business forward we you've got to you know yeah. as i said i said earlier on no change no chance got to keep pushing one of the things that drives Myself and my two brothers, you know, we, we like everything to be right. We like the business. We walk around the business. If it's untidy, there's a screw out of place. There's a screw on the front, a bit of paper. We'll pick it up. We'll always lead by example. And we want our people to do that. And that's your father in you, isn't it? Oh, that's my father. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can, that, that's the family business piece and that generational piece coming to play, isn't it? My father was my hardest critic, but also my biggest inspiration. Yeah. Um, you know, he was he was he was a taskmaster for sure. You know, was you you're working twelve hours a day, as many hours. I didn't we didn't mind that. We used we, it's what we got used to, um, and I, I, we never forget that. You, you know, Neil and Jonathan and I we sit there and we we, we, we laugh, and, <laughs> but we also remember that the, the, the one of the things that we 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 probably miss most about the the, the beginnings of our, our careers is those one and a half hour chats there. Yeah. But if we continue that now, we'd never get home and we probably <laughs> wouldn't have the same relationship with our wives as, 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 as you do. Balance, You've got to have balance, yeah. And, you know, you, we talk about this, you know, leading, you know, worldwide, um, now renowned kind of facility here in Poole. You know, that's one facility. I mean, what are your aspirations for the business in the years ahead? Well, I've, I've made it quite clear in a lot of my... Um, 
my PR stuff that we've done recently that we we are, we are expanding. Yeah. Um, so you know what we what we're doing at the moment is our first facility is our test and learn site. Okay. Um, and uh, as I said to you earlier, I thought I could do that in six months, but it's going to take eighteen months to get it right. But the, 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 the plan is to expand to, to six operations in total across the UK. Um, okay. we've also, we already have a presence in the Midlands. So um, we've already identified where our next two facilities are going to be uh, in the next couple of years. Okay. Um, we've got a five-year expansion plan, um, and that's for a specific reason why we're doing that. Um, those, those sites, like I said, they're, they're all strategically placed. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so the, the pool, we're still learning. We're, we're still learning what, 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 the, what the right things to do. So hopefully the second one will be a lot easier yeah. and the third one will be a lot easier. <laughs> so the whole type of plan is, is, is six. We think we can get to that size in the market. That'll give us about 15 to, to 20% of the okay. UK car park. Um, we know that's achievable because it's been done in the States um, yeah. and that's our, that's our five-year goal. And how, it's quite interesting because do you look around the world? I mean... Do you look around the world to see what's taking place around that and bring that back to the Absolutely, UK? yeah, yeah. Done? One of my biggest inspirations was an American company called LKQ. Okay. They only started in 1999, and their concept was they. That this is where the corporate come into the family businesses. So corporate bought all the family business up over over the, in yeah. the states. They kept the good family businesses running, but applied the corporate. Uh, okay. style to that to the, how the businesses functioned and now they're the largest in the world um, okay. for sure that you know they they they, they, they they've been my inspiration I was fortunate to have been met the board of LKQ over many years okay. um, certainly from some from the early and founders visits and see what I've, I visit their sites you know some of the stuff so I've, it's, it's inspired me every time I've been there the scale of it has inspired me how they've turned a a traditional business into a really professional business yeah. that said we've probably now leapfrogged them on the production side of the yeah, business yeah, yeah. on the actual the, the back end side right. that pe the, people don't see the actual how to dis dismantle a vehicle end to end efficiently and quickly that I'd say we have now got the market Brilliant. market advantage on I can see the pride in your eyes in that and then very deservedly so because I think there is a thing isn't there and sometimes as you know owner managers we can be quite you know insular can't we and we think we can think we know we know it all and we kind of think of our little kind of in our little geographical area wherever we are and wherever we operate but I've you know over the years I've seen the benefits of you know forward thinking business owners like yourself Mark and your brothers that put their head above the parapet and they go and see what's happening within their industry around the world and bring best practice back yeah and, and that, you know it, it's like I said when we we're a smaller business it was about us and it was all about our ideas yeah. you, know, you know we delivered this this facility BH1 you know, we I don't work in that facility every single day. We put a production manager and there is a overall manager that runs the whole facility. But the best ideas, are, you know, when I go again, going back to my early days, doing the job myself, hands on, the best ideas come from the people that are doing the job. Yeah. You know, so I'm now exp I'm hopefully getting better ideas from the guys on the on the lines, the supervisor that work on the lines, the actual people work on the lines in our production side from the, putting the parts away, how we become more efficient from the production manager to the thing. So we're looking for we're looking for for these talented people to give us the ideas how we can continually improve our business because they just can't come we we've lost that kind of 
yeah. personal touch that we would have on it. So very much that's how we, we, we need to push forward. Brilliant. Right. As we start to wrap up the conversation, I suppose I've got to ask about the next generation. So you, you and your brothers... Well, there is children. Are they coming through into the business? Well, we we, we've got. uh, I've got my son involved in the business, and my nephew um, is involved in the business, and my niece is involved in her own business, but she does all our digital marketing. So they're they're a thing, and and there's probably we're still down to quite a small small number of potential fifth generation. Um, Neil, Jonathan, and I were probably we were scraping the barrel because there was only three (laughs) trends. As I said, family businesses work extremely well in many different. Shapes, forms, husband yeah. and wife, brothers and sisters, um, yeah. uh, brothers and brothers. You know, the, we're a traditional brother and brother family, and it works. It works well. Hopefully, there will be a. There is a fifth generation. They're in there now. We we'll just see how the future goes with them. Brilliant, fantastic. And I always end with this kind of question, and that's a question about you and your definition of success. Uh, you know, how would you define personal success for you, Mark? Oh, it's quite a biggie to end with. <laughs> it, it is. My whole life's been evolved around trends and the success of trends. I get more pleasure talking about my business and our achievements than I would my nice car. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, whilst the, you, the spoils of success are nice things, my heart is always with the business and and our heads rolls with the business so that's where we've and and i know my certainly my brother's exactly the same brilliant so succinctly put um it's been wonderful talking to you if people want to learn more about the charles trent story uh more about you where can they go well they can certainly contact me um through my email address yeah which is mark at ctrent.co.uk yeah. I'm more than happy to talk to them. Please don't bombard me with your uh, parts <laughs> requests, though. Brilliant. And look, I've loved talking to you. It's, it's great when I, you know, get one of the joys that, and I think I've said this you know, to the listeners before, that I have is sitting down and talking to interesting people and seeing the passion and belief that they have in their business and learning about their stories. So I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, Mark. Thank you for being a great guest on the podcast. Thank you, Warren, for having me. Thank you for listening to the Evolve to Succeed podcast. My hope with every episode is that you've learned something new or heard something that challenged your way of thinking and further motivated you on your path towards becoming a more knowledgeable, informed and inspired individual and business leader. If you enjoyed this episode, then please help us by rating, reviewing and subscribing. We really value your feedback and would love to have you along for future episodes. And please don't forget to learn more about Evolve by going to evolvemembers.com. Thank you for listening. See you next week.